0: All right. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. We doing all right today? I think the rain is officially back. Ah, yes. Um, It's good to be here with you. What a way to start. This is a, a big day in the life of our church, but what a way to start singing out and celebrating the way, the truth and the life. Um, hey, it's, it's great to be here with you. My name is Adam. I'm a part of the team here at Mosaic and, and have uh, the opportunity to open scripture with you this morning. Um, we, for the last probably two months, have been in a series called Better Things, and we're teaching through the book of, of Hebrews, and uh, Hebrews is sometimes referred to as the book of better things, and uh, week after week, we are, are, are learning and discovering why Jesus is ultimately the better thing. And uh, there's a couple themes that are that are happening in the book of Hebrews. One, Jesus is being compared to to kind of greater and greater things, and yet he is still the better thing. And 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 it's just kind of this grandiose moving thing that's happening. And and alongside of that, throughout the the, the book of Hebrews, as well as talking about the better thing, there's a progression of encouragement and a call to persevere and and, and talking about our faith. And Hebrew re, Hebrews really lays these two tracks down. Um, and one of the reasons is because, yes, it's true that Jesus is the better thing, but that doesn't mean following him is the easy thing. Oftentimes, the better thing isn't always the easiest. Um, one, of my, one of my favorite quotes uh, by Thoreau, and he says, um, Going the path of least resistance makes both men and rivers crooked. And this idea that, that, that ultimately what's best isn't always what's easiest. And certainly through the book of Hebrews, as we've read these stories, as we've seen people who have sought to, to follow after Jesus, they are rewarded with what he has, and yet they, they are still part of the human condition. And so following after what's best isn't always what's easiest, and following Jesus always costs us something, right? There's always an expense, there's always something sacrificed... To follow the words and the ways of Jesus and for Him to be our Lord. And so, um, perseverance and encouragement becomes a big part of this book and it becomes a big part of following after Jesus. So we're going to continue. We're in, um, chapter 10 of Hebrews and, uh, we're going to read just a few short verses, but like much of Hebrews, there's a ton of, of theology and life packed into the book of Hebrews. Uh, so before we open scripture, I'm going to, I'm going to pray for us. Father, this morning as we um, we were singing those words um, of you and your goodness and your character and your love for us, I, I was just overwhelmed hearing the voices and, and people that love you. Um, and we expect to meet you in this scripture. We know that your word is powerful and it's true and it, it reshapes who we are. And so I pray that we would bring a, a courageous heart um, to listen, to learn, and to be shaped by you. I pray for those of us here who are Our following you is the better thing, and yet um, we are realizing, and maybe know all too well, it's not always the easiest thing, and are in need of encouragement from your spirit. Um, I pray that that you would be faithful to meet us in that. Um, I pray for those of us here who um, are still investigating the claim that you're the better thing, that you would meet them faithfully today. Reveal yourself and make yourself known. And Father, we thank you for this day. In your name, amen. So we're in Hebrews chapter 10, and the, the heading of this specific uh, portion is called um, A Call to Persevere. And uh, as we are walking through the book of Hebrews, we have to keep referencing um, the history of the Hebrew people. And week after week, we've talked about who they are and how God has called them and shaped them. And, 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 and it helps us understand the context that this book is written in. And uh, the, the Hebrew people, if, if you've not been here the last few weeks, um, to put their history very short... Uh, began as a covenant with Abraham, um, this covenant was that God is going to multiply um, his his family and his lineage, and and He was going to bless them, and He was going to bless the world through Him. Which this is prophetic. This is a foreshadowing of, of of Jesus. And so, the people of God, the Israelites in the Old Testament, become a people. They become a nation. They they are led to their own land, and and they establish their own temple, their own um, their own government, and everything. And and so that's, that's where the Hebrew people began. Well, fast forward to the setting where the book of Hebrews is written. Um, their, their nationality looks a little bit different. Uh, in fact, they've been conquered by Rome. Um, they, they, don't, they don't rule themselves. The, the Caesar rules them. They've been Hellenized by Greeks. So much of their own culture has been diluted by the, the culture of this setting. And, and so the thing that they have that's really important to them in their identity is, is their heritage is this faith, this, this way that God spoke to them in the past. But for the Hebrews that that, that are receiving this letter, this book, they have chosen the, the better thing. They've chosen to follow the words and the ways of Jesus, and for Him to be their Savior. Now you can imagine, for a people living in an occupied nation, that the only people they have something in common with is this, this tradition, and then for them to, to walk away from that, to pursue Jesus... I think that we can understand that that would be a very, very challenging thing to do. It would be a better thing, but but not the easiest thing. They would have experienced isolation and loneliness. They would experience uh, tribulation and 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 people per, um, pursuing them and fighting with them. And and so that's kind of the setting of, of of why this letter is written. And and this passage is called a call to persevere. And it, and it really identifies. Two, two contributors to, to perseverance within us if, if we're following after Jesus. And one of them is, is simply our faith. That our faith is, is alive and active and plays a role in our life. That our faith's not reduced to a, a theological belief that we adhere to, but, it, but it's alive and it's connecting us in a relationship with the living Father. And the second thing it identifies as, uh, that, that helps us persevere is, is community our faith in our community. So if you have a Bible, turn there with me. This is Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 19. And uh, it says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God, with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. There is so much packed into these five verses. These first three verses are are really encapsulating the gospel message of of who Jesus is, That, that he is our great high priest that he has made us right before a holy God, that he has given us access to a holy God. And, and there's a reference in here about the most holy place. And, and this is a reference um, from Israel, from the people of God in the Old Testament. The the place that they met God was was in the temple. It played a very important role for them. And, and in the middle of this was the Holy of Holies, or the most holy place. And uh, it represented the presence of God. And, and one day a year... You can read about this in Leviticus 16 if you have extra time on your hands. On the Day of Atonement, the great high priest would make a sacrifice for his own sin, and then he would go before God and mediate and sacrifice for the sins of everyone. And, and this was the system, um, the, the, the one represent, representative who would go into the presence of God on behalf of everyone. And yet we read in Hebrews that Jesus has become our great high priest, and that we stand now in that holy place. We stand in the presence of of a holy God because of what Jesus has done with his own blood and his own body. So we start with this, this, uh, this realization of what this message is, that this is the gospel of Jesus, that, that, that this is the confidence we have, not because what we have done, but because what he has done and because who he is. And then it leads us into an invitation. So it says who Jesus is, and it says that he is our great high priest, and he has cleansed us, and then it leads us into this invitation. It says, firstly, to draw near. To draw near. What what does it mean to draw near God? Is, is he in a different place, and, and I am further from him, and if, if I move to a certain place, I'll be closer to him? Are, are, are we, are we a part? Is there places that God is and places that God isn't? No, I mean, we, we read from David in Psalms 139, he says, there's nowhere I can go from your presence. There's nowhere. If I ascend to the heavens, you're, you're there. If I go to the depths, you're there. there. There's nowhere I can escape from the presence of God. So when we're invited to draw near, it's it's not a matter of proximity. It's a matter of relationship. This phrase, draw near, another way to uh, to define this could be come and see and come and celebrate. To come and have an awareness, a revelation of who God is. So because of what Jesus has done for us as our great high priest, we are now invited into a living relationship with a holy and living God. He says, come and draw near. This is where our faith is growing. When we come and we draw near into the awareness, into the relationship with our God. Now, I'm always struck when, when we sing these songs like we're singing today. You are the way, you are the truth, you are the life, that, that these are, are ways that we are becoming more aware of who God is, and it's expanding our faith. Our faith is growing. N.T. Wright says, um, Faith isn't something that you drum up by your own efforts. The faith—it's—it's not something I'm doing to psych myself up or a, a shot of adrenaline or or excitement. It's—it's it's not something that I'm positive positively affirming affirming myself in. He says, "As faith isn't something that you drum up on your own effort, it comes when you are looking hard at the object of your faith, namely Jesus. We don't produce faith and drum it up within ourselves. Our faith grows and expands when we look at Jesus." And so we're invited to draw near to a greater awareness of who Jesus is. And as my faith grows, my perseverance grows. So we're invited to draw near. We're invited to come with sincere hearts. With authentic, unmasked, sincere hearts. This morning, um, like a lot of you, I got out of bed. When I rolled out of bed, it was still dark outside, and I was bemoaning. It was it was not exciting. But at some point between rolling out of bed and, and getting in my truck to drive here, at some point in the morning, I, I went and looked at a mirror. Now, this is an important thing to do um, to make sure that everything's intact. I'm clothed, hair's okay, sufficient gray in my beard, um, and, and I'm in the mirror. And then I only to find out from one of our college students that you can't wear denim with denim, so... Evidently, I failed. But we look at the mirror, and, and, and I'm there, and, and all of us do this, because I want to see what you're going to see before you see it. Now, there's only so much I can change, but, but I, I, I want to see what you're going to see so that, that I can be as presentable as I can. And If you told me that later today we're going to go to a black tie event, or we're going to a wedding I would find myself once again in front of a mirror saying, is this the way I'm supposed to look at this in this environment at this, at this, uh, at, at this wedding? Is this, is this sufficient? Is this the best version of myself that, that I can create? I want to see what you're going to see before you see it. And yet, this invitation to come with sincere hearts. I think that there's a temptation for us to, to kind of want to clothe our heart and make it the best version that it can be. I, mean, I I know the brokenness and depravity of my own heart, and to have that exposed and open before God, it's, it's unnerving until I remember the confidence I have because of my high priest, because of who Jesus is, that we can come unmasked and authentic with sincere hearts before a holy God. We're invited to draw near with sincere hearts and without guilt. I think this is a place that, that a lot of us get stuck. I mean, I, I can believe that, that God forgives me in the sense that I, I'm no longer going to be held accountable for my mistakes. But do I believe that God has made me new, that God has cleansed me to the point that he no longer sees me and defines me by my depravity and brokenness? See, this is a place where my faith in who Jesus is leads to t- confidence and leads to perseverance. It tells us in Second Corinthians 5 that, that if we are in Christ, if we are claiming this, this gospel narrative, this story, if this is who we are, then we are new creations. The old is past, and the new has come. So I get to stand before a holy God, cleansed, made new, without a guilty conscience. And then lastly, it says, it asks us to hold unswervingly to this hope that we have in Jesus. Now all of these are building our faith, that we're drawing near to him, that we're being amazed at who he is, that, that we're coming with sincere hearts, not hiding anything, but, but being vulnerable and honest and coming without guilt. And then he says, on this hope, hold unswervingly. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity of, of being a passenger um, in a car that, that has a student driver. It's, it'll test your faith. Um, there's this thing that, that people do when they're learning how to drive where they just go like from line to line to line. You know, they're, they're kind of bouncing back and forth and it's, it's somewhat nauseating and disorienting and you just want to be like just, just hold steady. Don't hold so strongly. You're, you're making everyone sick. And, and at times our, our faith, when it's not rooted on the knowledge of Jesus and who he says that we are, it, it feels as though we're rocking back and forth between belief and doubt. And, and my identity in Him, and the temptation to believe that I'm defined by by my brokenness and depravity, and and the author of Hebrews says, hold steadily to this hope, not because of who we are, but because of who He is. And so our faith, it plays a role in our persevering. That our faith matters. That our faith isn't just a theological idea that we that we logged away and it's there and it's it's filed and. No, it, it, it's a living access. It's a living relationship that we have with our Father. He continues in verse 24 then to expand this to community. See, I, I have a role in, in my faith and, and bringing my faith and responding to this invitation to draw near, but, but, but we also have a role to persevere with one another. If we are a, a community centered around the claims of Jesus, then, then we have a role. He says it like this in Verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together or some in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So the author says, not only does your faith lead you to persevere, but but this is part of what it means to be a community, that we are leaning in with one another, that we are spurring one another along, that we are considering one another. This, uh, a couple weeks ago, I, I wasn't here on a Sunday. I, I was actually with my family. We packed up in the minivan and, and drove 12 hours east to a family reunion. And all my family, well, most of my family got together in a single cabin. It was like a nine-bedroom cabin and uh, three levels. All the kids were on the lowest level, including my wife and I. I don't know how we, we drew the short straw. Like we, we got there last is what happened. And, uh, but all my family's there. And when I get with my family, it's always a a mixed feeling because, you know, you know your family, they're weird, right? Like you just see the weird parts of who they are and all these weird mannerisms. And I've always seen myself as a little bit apart and detached from that. But then this thing happened where it it seemed to be coming up in my kids. I was like, well, how did it skip over me and get to them? And man, that's, that's a bummer for them. And, but in truth, like your family shapes who you are for better or for worse, your, your, your family is where you're from and it shapes who you are, the culture that your family has. Every family has a way that they operate, that they communicate, a, a way that they treat one another. There, there's a culture that, that shapes who you are. My family, we were um, sitting in the cabinet, it was snowing so we couldn't really get outside so we decided um, to go do one of those escape rooms. Anyone ever heard of this? Yeah, I, I brought a picture. Um, it'll, it'll be up here. This, yes, th- there we are. This is my family. Um, we're in a, an escape room that was Monopoly-themed. It's, it's not violent. It's just Monopoly-themed. It looks, um, And the whole premise of this is you're, you're given these set of clues, and you have one hour to try to escape. All right, now, this is the perfect environment for everyone's personalities to come bubbling to the surface, right? Like the people who are into puzzles and, and, and stuff like that, Like they're nerding out and trying to figure stuff out. And, and my aunt, let's just say she's a, a take-charge personality, was certainly taking charge, and she's field marshalling everything, and, and everyone's personalities are coming to the surface, and it was, it was actually really cool. We had a blast. We finished with time to spare. I'll just throw that out there. But at the end, when we were driving home, we, we were discussing it and saying, you know, I, I don't think, hadn't we all been there, we've been able to figure that out. Like, there were parts of it that required someone to really understand puzzles, and then parts of it that, that required someone to put everything together. And, 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 and everyone's giftedness and, and personalities contributed contributed to how we moved forward in this. And, and I don't think we could have done it alone or as individuals. Likewise, we're, we're called into this family because we need each other. We're called into community because, because I need you to persevere in the faith. And you need me to persevere in the faith. And so the author of Hebrews says that we, we consider we consider one another. This, this word, it's, it's an empathetic um, leaning in. It's an empathetic understanding and studying of, of who someone is. That, that we're making space for the kind of relationships where, where we're actually getting to know each other. It, it, it's pushing further into relationship. And, and that kind of community, considering one another, creating space for one another, it, it requires some level of sacrifice. You know, when I get together with my family, we, we have a really good time, but, but we do it quite often. We do it once every year or two, and, it, and it's, it's a sacrifice. Driving in a minivan with three kids for 12 hours for a two-day uh, reunion and then driving back, it was a huge sacrifice. And, and yet, it's, it's given us access to deep community. See, we're called to consider one another. That to, to look at one another empathetically and to create space for one another and to, to, to be community. The author says to not give up meeting together as as some are in the habit of doing. That there's an intentionality of us being a part of community and allowing others to be a part of community and creating space for one another and empathizing and considering one another. I think that there's a lot of of obstacles or hurdles for us as as we ask why we wouldn't gather together. As, As it says, some are in the habit of doing um, and I think some of those uh, could be like, like the safety of isolation. Um, for, for some, the idea of sharing life, the risk of sharing life, feels difficult and hard. And certainly relationships are risky. Sharing life is, is risky. And, and so for some, there's a temptation to, to live in isolation. It's, it's, it's almost as though people live with bubble wrap kind of around their hearts. Like they're there, but they're, they're kind of insulated from everyone around them. Uh, for some, it's it's simply prioritizing. It's simply there. There's a lot of things we can do. Are we prioritizing meeting together as God's people and sharing life and considering one another? Um, some of it even is is the culture and the place that we live. Uh, we live in in a place where where people kind of lean back a little bit. Um, I, I noticed this in the the team, the soccer team I'm coaching. I, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that I'm, I'm coaching a, a soccer team. And it's all newbies. And so um, the teams that we're playing have all been together since, like, kindergarten. And these are all a bunch of fourth and fifth graders who don't know each other. And, and uh, as the season has gone on, they they begin to gel a little bit and, and get to know each other a little bit more. And, in fact, um, they're getting better. We've won our last two games. Yesterday was our last game. But But the greatest thing, the biggest achievement that's happened is that the parents have actually started conversing with one another. It was so awkward. Our first handful of practices, all the parents would come and stand on the sideline and just talk you can share you can share your life you can open up you can say words it's not that hard and, and yet there, there's part of our, our culture that, that that invites us to lean out the author of Hebrews is saying your, your community plays a role that your community matters that you need your community to persevere in the faith it says consider consider one another and spur one another on to love and to good works I love that it uses this word spur, because it's not like nudge or come on, you can do it. It's Spur, it's almost a a provoking kind of word. It's a little bit more aggressive. It's a little bit more pushy. He says, spur one another along, push one another along into love and to good works. What this means is that that, that we are believing the redempted version of each other and pushing into that reality. That I know what Jesus has done for you, and I know what He's done for me, and I know what life He gives us access to, and so I'm going to push you into that life. I'm going to spur you along, and oftentimes this this can be uh, it, it can feel like a spurn. I remember one time I was I was free labor. I was helping my uncle roof his house, and we were measuring, getting all the dimensions um, so that we could order the the metal. And and I was on the ridge of the roof, and he was on one side. And he wanted to measure it, so he holds the one end of the tape, and I'm walking backwards. And we got to order everything, so we got to measure. And as I'm walking, he looks up, and my uncle can get a little grouchy. He looks up and goes, "Adam, stop!" Like, jeez, dude, I'm free labor. I'm here helping you, man. I was like, I was just really taken back. And then I looked, and I was one step away from stepping off the roof. And 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 I was like, oh! And in that moment, he, there wasn't time for nicety. There, There wasn't time. For 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 uh, an explanation, it was simple. I see destruction coming your way, and I'm going to say something because I'm invested in this community. I'm invested in what Jesus is doing in you, and I know that He's redeemed you, and I see that, and I'm pushing for that reality in your life, even if at times it's painful. Proverbs 27 says, uh, "Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses." Wounds from a friend. Wounds from someone who truly cares for you. Not needless wounds, but wounds of truth. Wounds that that are are someone saying, hey, the direction you're going is is not what Jesus has for you. The direction you're going is is not what God has designed for you. These kinds of wounds from a friend can be trusted. But it's the enemy who just multiplies kisses, who, who gives flattery, who, for the sake of keeping the peace, doesn't really want to say anything, don't really like confrontation. Wounds from a friend... can be be trusted. This idea of hard truth within community, of spurring one another along to love and good works. I know I need this. I need you to come alongside and to spur me sometimes. I need you to be a part of a community that helps persevere in the faith. So we spur one another along to love and good works, and we encourage one another. Encouraging one another. This isn't about just giving compliments and platitudes. Um, it's not about positive affirmation and motivational speaking and you got this. Encouraging is reminding someone. It's the discipline of reaffirming someone's identity in Christ. I encourage you most when I remind you who you are in Christ because he's the better thing. Because he is the one. He is your high priest that, that gives you access to a holy God that gives you access to forgiveness and to freedom so the author says that, that we encourage one another and if we're in an environment where we all see each other through redemptive lenses and we're all reaffirming our identity in Christ, this, this becomes our, our home field this, this becomes the place where, where people are championing this redemptive work that the God spirit is doing within me I've been watching um, some of the world series any, any World Series watchers? Any? Are we going for Boston? LA? Uh, yeah. Portland Pickles, Woo, that's who we like. Um, I was watching and uh, they were talking about the Dodgers are, were in Boston, and, and I don't know if you know, but Boston is a rough sports town. Like Their fans are just a bit brutal. Um, everyone jeers, everyone, you know, whatever, but, but they just take it to a whole nother level. And they were interviewing some of the pitchers who, who were warming up in a bullpen. And a bullpen's is just this, this kind of box area where pitchers can warm up their arms. But at this stadium, in Fenway Stadium, it's tucked into the bleachers. And they were saying that fans were so hard on the opposing team that one of the guys was having emotional issues. He had to get earplugs, like he just couldn't take. And it's just words, right? But but it was so harsh on them. And and yet for their team, they love their team. Everything that their team does, they're cheering for them, they're hollering, they're they're there in their corner, they're there on their side. And and so when you hear this term in sports, the, the home field advantage, it, it actually does mean something. We're called to be the kind of community where this is our our home field, where I see you through redemptive lenses. I know what Jesus has done for you. I know that he's redeemed you. And this is a place where that's going to be reaffirmed over and over. This is the truest form of encouragement. That's the truest form of encouragement because it's leading you to transformation and it's leading you to freedom. As we pursue the better thing, as we pursue Jesus, we are called to persevere with our faith and with community. I'm going to invite our band, our team, to come forward. We're going to continue in our worship, and and I want to read um, actually from the end of chapter 10. And here in a moment, um, we're gonna we're gonna come to the table. Um, this this thing that we do that Jesus instructed us to do in remembrance of Him as our High Priest in remembrance. That it was by his body and and his blood that that we have forgiveness and and access to our our Holy Father. And so we're going to come and we're going to worship through communion. Uh, But I want to read these last um, three verses as a statement of of who we are as as, as a community centered around the the claims and teaching of Jesus. And it says this. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Verse 37 says, For in just a little while, he who is coming uh, will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But listen to this. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. We persevere because of our high priest. Our faith is expanding and growing in him the knowledge of who he is so today as we we continue our worship through singing through coming and and receiving this this communion i want to invite you i want to invite you to enter in to respond to this invitation to bring your heart in any condition that it's in and to come without guilt without clothed hearts let's continue in our worship